Now, if you open your Bibles to go on a mobile device to Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, this great first century letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at Rome is like a legal brief. In the first eight chapters, he deals with who we were before Christ and how we are sinners under judgment, but then Jesus came, he died, was buried, and was raised so he could have new life and forgiveness, and we've celebrated folks in their baptisms that they know they've come to that place where they've embraced that new life in Christ And he begins to talk about what that grace means. And in chapter 8, we've seen five promises, and we'll see the sixth and final promise today of of God's grace in our lives and what it means to live in the grip of his grace, the goodness of God that we don't deserve. And really, as we come to this final paragraph of chapter 8, it's the final paragraph of the first eight chapters of Romans. And we're going to see... Uh, the promise here of unbreakable grace, the promise of unbreakable grace in Romans 8, 31 to 39. Promise number six that we're gonna look at says this, this promise of unbreakable grace. Because of God's unbreakable grip of grace on us, nothing and no one can ever cut us off from his amazing goodness and love. If you know Jesus as your savior, you are in the grip of his grace. Jesus described it in John 10 that we are in the palm of his father's hand and no one can pluck us out of his father's hand. Paul says here that nothing can separate us from the love of God. This is the unbreakable grace of God. We look at these first eight chapters of Romans and we really have a great summary of the gospel and now there's this exclamation point here in Romans 8, 31 to 39. Timothy Keller kind of summarizes the good news, the gospel, and it really summarizes these first eight chapters of Romans very well. When when Keller says, here's the gospel, you're more sinful than you ever dared believe, and you're more loved than you ever dared hope. That's the message of these first eight chapters of Romans. And now he turns in chapters nine, 10, and 11 to the faithfulness of God in the past and how he'll be faithful in the future. And then in the chapter 12, he says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. And from chapter 12 through chapter 16, he talks about how we then live out this grace on a day-to-day basis in a variety of areas. As we look at Romans 8, 31 to 39, we're gonna see Paul raise a number of questions. And there are five critical questions that he raises about our relationship with God. When we are in Christ Jesus, as he started the chapter, there is no condemnation. So he's talking to followers of Christ. And I want us to see what he has to say in this exclamation point to the first eight chapters about God's good news of his grace in our lives. Follow along as I read Romans 8, 31 to 39. What then shall we say in response to these things? And I believe it's not just chapter eight he's talking about, he's talking about all that he has laid out in this legal brief for us of how we were guilty, but we can be declared justified and right before God through Jesus. What do we say then in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, 
For your sake, we face death all day long, for we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37. No, in all these things, in what things? In trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Then Paul says, for I am convinced, I am persuaded. And he uses the tense in the original Greek that communicates completed action and pastime with continuing results. So he says it this way. Uh, it, 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 it is so clear in the way in which it is written in the original. He says, for I have been and still am being Convinced, I am convinced, I am persuaded. I have been and still am persuaded that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor, and then he says, and if you didn't get any of those things, he says, nor anything else in all creation can do what? will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, nothing can separate us from God's love. What a great exclamation point to the good news of Jesus as he laid it out in these first eight chapters. What a great exclamation point to this amazing grace of God laid out in Romans chapter eight. And as we look at this unbreakable grace of God. I want us to see these five questions that Paul raises about our relationship with God. Number one, if God is for us, who can be against us? He says that right off the bat. If God is for us, verse 31, who can be against us? By the way, the, the way this question is answered, and each of the questions is, is answered, is that there is a certainty to the implied response. There is no one who can be against us. And you might be saying, well, what about Satan? He's alive and he's got the demons and they're doing everything they can to thwart us. Ultimately, they can't hurt us because Satan and all the demonic realm were defeated when Jesus went to the cross and when he conquered the grave. And Satan knows his end is coming. And people say, but the world, it just seems to be drifting out of control. The world seems to be winning, and, and look at how things have changed, and look what's happening. Jesus said, I overcame the world. John says, if we're in Christ, we are overcomers. We don't evaluate whether we're winning or losing based on cultural and social and political things. We base our victory on the finished work of Jesus Christ. And some would say, what about my flesh? I still struggle as a follower of Jesus with lust and greed and pride. As we saw last week, when we're made right in Christ, now as we walk with him, and each step of obedience we take, as we walk according to Christ's likeness, we're freed from the power of sin, from the flesh within us that would crave the lust, the pride, the greed that so easily can take hold of our flesh is in power. We've been freed from that to live in a life with Christ that leads to Christ-likeness. If God is for us, who can be against us? Satan's gonna to try to convince you there are people and things and circumstances in the world that are just too overwhelming and you can't get through them, you can't deal with those things, but I'm here to tell you, because of the grace, which is the goodness of God we don't deserve, nothing can stand in the way of what God is gonna do in and through you. You are in his hand. No one can be against you when God is for you. No one. 
If God is for us, who can be against us? No one. Secondly, question number two, is God holding anything back from us? Is God holding anything back from us? Verse 32, he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. He gave us his only son when he sent him to go to the cross. How will he not also, along with Christ, graciously give us all things? Is God holding back on us? You go back to the garden. Remember when Satan appeared as the serpent and was tempting Adam and Eve? Remember part of the, the, the words he used to, to deceive them was, God's holding back on you. God knows that if you eat of that tree, you'll be like him. And at the root of most of Satan's continued lies to us is this idea that God is holding back what you need or what is best for you. He doesn't really know how to love you. I'm well aware that uh, Tuesday is Valentine's Day. I was at my preferred florist yesterday, and there at Costco, they just had all kinds of flowers and bouquets and, and arrangements, and they even had carts in other aisles full of flowers. And I thought, they're never going to sell all these things. Then when I got to check out, it's like every other person had some sort of flower arrangement. And it, it, we know that this is, this is Valentine's Day. And Coming Tuesday, and, and Leslie and I will celebrate, I don't know, it's getting close to almost see, be our 38th Valentine. Uh, we dated for several years. We've been married almost uh, 33 years. We've been married 32 years, seven months, and 12 days today. And our, our journey has gotten better, and our love has grown deeper, and we've gone through ups and downs, and we've learned how to love each other more and lean in. And Several years ago, we came across Gary Chapman's love languages, you know, those five kind of descriptions he clumped together to help us be better at understanding one another's needs and our love languages. And so there's the gift-giving, acts of service, encouraging words, quality time, physical touch. And the theory behind what Chapman wrote is that in our relationships with our spouses or those we love, he even has a book for how we relate to our children's love languages, coworkers, those kind of things. But in a marriage relationship, he's saying, that what you often try to communicate with, which one of those languages is what you want to receive, but sometimes we're doing this in our relationships. And so when Leslie and I took the test, we figured out we were kind of missing in our love languages. Um, I have for years given her gifts, thinking, you know, roses and, and a little gift here, a little teddy bear there, all these things would be sweet. And so I've been a gift giver because that's my love language. But found out that that is the lowest of her love languages. <laughs> Her first one is acts of service. So for to her, in our relationship, for me to pick my towel up off the bathroom floor <laughs> is like for some other people, a dozen roses, because that's her love language. And my love language is gift giving. And, and so I found ways to serve her and to do little things to help her and take her car and get it washed and not let her know I'm doing it and put it back or just found ways to serve her. And she's found that, yeah, gift giving. So if I break sunglasses or need something, she just get it and put it on the counter or on my pillow or something. And you learn your love languages. And we're not perfect at that as human beings. But let me tell you this. God knows your love language. God knows your needs and your wants better than anyone he is not holding back on you. Satan will try to convince you that God is holding back something you deserve, something you should have. He loves you. Question number three, who can successfully accuse us of wrong before God? Verse 33, he says, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. We talked about the moment we understand we're sinners in need of a savior. We put our faith in Christ who died and was buried 
was raised for us. As we express our faith in Jesus, God's grace washes away our sin and our self-righteousness because of the finished work of Jesus, and we're then clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And God justifies. He makes us right with himself. Who then, who then can accuse us? Who can bring a charge, verse 33 says, against one God has already justified? You know, we, we think about this and we, we miss the whole idea that that condemnation's been removed. Remember in chapter eight, verse one, we started out with God's unlimited grace, the promises of his unlimited grace. If you're in Christ Jesus, you know Jesus, that condemnation and judgment we all deserve is removed once and for all and forever. So he's raising that question again. Who can accuse us of wrongdoing before God? The verse itself says here, the next verse says that Jesus is now at the right hand of the Father interceding, saying, like a defense lawyer, I'm telling you, Father, she's washed in my blood. She's clothed in my righteousness. He is covered by me. And yet Satan wants us to believe that somehow that condemnation can come back and somehow the accusations can fly. And that God somehow, as the devil accuses us, that somehow God will see us for the imposters we are, or that he'll see this thing that Satan brings up and Jesus is there saying, covered in my blood. So the question is, who can successfully accuse us of wrongdoing before God? The answer is, excuse me, <coughs> the answer is no one, no one. Now when you talk about God's grace, the goodness that we don't deserve, that we're in the grip of his grace now and forever, that nothing can remove us from his grip, there are two flawed views of that grace. The one view of grace says we have to do something to earn it, be good enough, measure up, be better than other people, be religious enough, be Christian enough, do whatever you're supposed to do enough, and somehow we'll earn that grace. You can never earn grace. You will always fall short. Or somehow we have to do something to keep his grace. You still can't do enough to keep God's grace. God keeps you in the grip of his grace. There's nothing you can do to add to or take away from the grace of God. The other flawed view, though, is what we talked about several weeks ago, I think in the second or third message, where I warned you, grace cannot be seen as a license to sin or a permission slip. We say, oh, I'm secure in his hands, so now I can live however I want, and that'll just prove how gracious he is. Someone wrote me this week, and a, a great way to express it is, we're not talking about amnesty here, like we have some sort of amnesty that we don't have to walk in obedience or submit to the lordship of Christ. No, our, our lives, when we're in the grip of his grace, his very grace moves us and motivates us to live and love like Jesus, to submit to his lordship, to walk in obedience to God's word. Grace is not a permission slip or a license to sin. It's not some sort of amnesty we get that we don't have to obey God. No, we're to obey God's word, but it's the result of his saving grace so that I am then understanding by his grace even that I'm under the lordship of Christ and he, what he says about my life and my relationships in my home and my relationships in the neighborhood, how I carry out my financial ethics and my work ethic and my, my morality, even sexually with my sex life, all of that comes under the, the obedience of Christ and the lordship of Christ. And you can't just 
go around sinning without the conviction of the Holy Spirit or struggling with what you're doing. I mean, we talked about how when we step into the darkness, the Holy Spirit who is given to us, we saw this early in the chapter, he is given to us to guide us, empower us, but also to say, hey, you've stepped in the dark. Agree with God that this is sin. And as we do, we experience the cleansing and forgiveness of God, and it drives us into the righteousness, the very grace by which he continues to forgive us. Paul said it so clearly earlier in this book. In Romans 6, 1 and 2, he says, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? And that continue to live in it is the idea of uninterrupted. doesn't mean we'll be perfect, but when we sin, we'll say, wait a minute. The Spirit of God says, wait a minute, here's something. We see it, we confess it, and we go back into the light and live under the obedience to God and his word. John, the Apostle John, in his first letter to the church, said in 1 John 3, 6, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. You can't say, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm saved by his grace, but I don't care about the Bible, I don't care about what God says, I'm gonna live my life because it's all grace. You know what the Apostle Paul told the Corinthian believers, if you have that attitude, he said, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. If you have the view that your good works are gonna earn God's grace, you better examine yourself whether you're in the faith. If you have the view that says, hey, because I'm in the grip of his grace, I can do whatever I want and it doesn't matter, you better examine yourself whether you be in the faith, whether you're in Christ Jesus. In the same chapter, in verse nine, John says in 1 John 3, 9, no one who is born of God, who has truly been born of God, as we are saved by his grace, will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. Even in the presence of the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee, they cannot go on sinning uninterrupted without conviction because they've been born of God. We need to be clear in understanding God's grace and not err to either side in understanding that grace. A similar question is question number four, who can condemn or judge us? The answer is no one. Even one day when we stand before God as the followers of Christ, the judgment that's described in 2 Corinthians 5.10 about the judgment we appear at as the followers of Jesus is the kind of judgment where you're the winner, the victor, and you're declared the victor. It's like being on those three blocks at the Olympics where they get the gold, the silver, and the bronze. You're there in the winner's circle in God's grace. Who can condemn or judge us, he says in verse 34. And the answer is no one. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Jesus Christ who's died, more than that, who has been raised to life is the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. No one. You say, well, what, what's, what's the critical crux of this? The question is, are you in Christ Jesus? See, there's no condemnation, no judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's been removed by his grace. Everyone in this room and everyone joining us online is either in Christ Jesus or not in Christ Jesus. I mean, people say, well, I think I'm almost there. It's not about almost getting there. This is not Billy Crystal and Princess Bride, half, mostly dead, mostly saved. The moment you express your faith in Christ to be your savior, you are saved then and always by his grace. And his grace propels you to live in obedience. If you haven't put your faith in Christ and you're not in Christ Jesus, that condemnation hovers over you, but God loves you and sent Jesus for you. You can have a relationship with him today. 
I'd love to chat with you in the lobby about that, celebrate with you. Maybe today's the day you transferred your faith into Jesus and away from your own sin and self-righteousness. You heard the stories of these folks coming to Jesus. Maybe today needs to be the story in your life where you come to Christ. Our care team is down front. If you're in the room or it's online, you can just text the name Jesus to the number below me on the screen and we'll follow up with you, connect with you, make sure you know what it means to be in Christ Jesus, to know this incredible, amazing grace. One of the most beautiful things about the scriptures when it talks about God's love and grace is that God pursues us with his love. It talks about that in Psalm 23 that he pursues us. Jesus used the illustration of the, the good shepherd who will have the 99 in the fold but, but will still go out and, and pursue the one lost sheep so they can be found. The goodness of God pursues us and maybe today God is pursuing you in his love and you need to cross that line of faith. Fifth and finally, who or what can separate us from the love of God? Who or what can separate us from the love of God? Verses 35 to 39. The answer is no one and nothing. No one and nothing. Can I read to you again verses 38 to 39? I want to read them from the New Living Translation. I just want to read these two verses over you. If you hear that voice sometimes inside saying, no, no, you've messed up too much. God must have cut you off. Or, or you this, or this circumstance must mean God's mad at you and he's trying to cut you off. And That's not the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's the voice that little voice that Satan loves to feed, that self-critical voice that he wants to get us to believe that we can be separated from the love of God or we can be plucked out of God's hand. But memorize, if you struggle with that, Romans 8, 38 and 39. Read it each day this week to replace that voice and listen to the word of God, the voice of God. Let me read this over you from the New Living Translation, Romans 8, 38 and 39. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen and amen. Amen. That is the word of God, not the word of Sean. And let those verses soak into your heart and mind. So what do we gotta remember if we're, we're gonna understand this promise of unbreakable grace? That, that you are in the grip of God's grace and nothing and no one can ever cut us off or cut you off from this amazing goodness and love. Number one, God has you in the grip of his grace and will never let you go. God has you in the grip of his grace and he will never let you go. Number two, you will never ever face God's judgment or condemnation. You will never ever face God's judgment or condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Chapter eight, verse one. Number three, your security in the grip of God's grace frees you to live all in for him with everything, all your being. You can live all in for him. God's grace is not a permission slip to sin, a license to sin, or some form of amnesty that you don't have to walk in obedience. God's grace motivates pushes us and fuels us forward to be all in for Jesus. Number four, never let anyone or anything diminish the greatness of God's grace in your life. 
Never let anyone or anything diminish the greatness of God's amazing grace, his goodness you don't deserve as his child. Jesus said it takes the faith of a little child to enter into heaven to receive his grace. Sometimes we complicate it, we overthink it, and yet it's the faith of a little child. Last night there was a baptism. We had attempted to baptize a person two times before, but this young man who's 20 years old named Connor, been a part of our special abilities ministry for the last eight years. The last two times he got overwhelmed with the concept of the water, and yet Connor has a simple, clear, Christ-like faith holding on to the grace that's found in Jesus. And last night, he went through with his baptism. We adapted it a bit to accommodate him, and Pastor Gina Spivey, our family ministry's pastor, baptized him as she poured water on him. And you need to see that baptism and be reminded of the simple beauty and yet the profoundness of God's reckless, amazing, incredible, overwhelming, unimaginable, unbreakable love for us. Watch Connor's baptism. This is Connor's story. My journey to a personal relationship with Christ has been a gradual process over the course of many years. It began as a small boy in the special abilities ministry, and I'm currently in the high school ministry with a buddy and as part of the Calvary A-team. I love Jesus in a pure, trusting, childlike way, the way Jesus told us to do. I am very happy and a little nervous to be baptized today, but I am ready. I am proud of my relationship with Jesus and want to show others that I have accepted him into my heart. Hi. <laughs> Uh, this is Connor, and we love Connor so much. So he is a part of our special abilities ministry. I've known him since he was a little boy. So we are excited to be able to baptize him this evening. We're gonna do it a little different for Connor. Um, so just give us a second while he gets situated here, and we're so, so proud of him. So. Ready? Okay, Connor, I'm so proud of you. I just have two questions for you. Are you ready? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> do you love Jesus? Um, yeah. And do you want to be baptized? Yeah. Yes? Yes. All right. Well, with that profession of faith in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God. Yes. You are dead to sin. Dead to sin. I'm going to pour this on your head. Wait, hang on. <laughs> Ready? Dead to sin. And alive in Christ. Praise God. Wow, great job, Connor. Okay, you can step on out. Well, that was the best ever. <laughs> Did you hear her? That was the best ever. God's grace is profound and deep. It seems, humanly speaking, unimaginable. It seems reckless that he would love us in such a way. But at the same time, Jesus said, we gotta understand it with the simplicity of a child, with all the cognitive challenges Connor has, we know, even all the volunteers who serve in our special bills ministry know, he has a simple yet profound faith in Jesus. Father, I pray for those who maybe wrestle with 
how amazing your grace is. Perhaps some are still trying to earn it. Maybe some have turned it into some license to sin. May they examine themselves to see if they're really in Christ because when we're in Jesus, we're saved by your grace and we are being changed by your grace. And I pray, Father, for those who hear that little voice often condemning, criticizing, or questioning. I pray that your word, that nothing in all of creation, nothing else in all of creation can separate us from your love for us. Remind us of that truth this week. No matter what we're going through, no matter what we face, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, part of our worship to God, of course, is responding to his goodness and grace in song, and responding in obedience to God's word, even memorizing Romans 8, 38, and 39 living in his word, praying together, gathering together in worship like this, and even giving back to God as he has given to us financially. You go to calvarywestlake.org slash give to give online. You can do that now. You can give at the gray boxes that are at the door. Those secure boxes are there to receive cash or checks as you give to the Lord's work even here in your local church that impacts people on this campus, in our community, and all around the world.